brand new episode of Third Degree Burn, a podcast about all things John Byrne. My name is Brian Hughes, and I'm here with an August personage. Is that the right use of that phrase? Well, of guests. They're not even guests. They're our regular guys. We got Tim <laughs> Elliott over here. Say hi, Tim. Hello. Kurt Greenfield. Good morning, guys. John Hyatt. Hey, hey. I'm here, awake and coffeeed up. Excellent. And David Thompson. Hello. The heart of Third Degree Burn. No pun intended. Keeps us on track. No, no, pun was intended. David, David uh, is scaring us with, uh, regaling us with uh, stories about his heart, which is fine, by the way, which is fine. But uh, I'm excited. I'm excited. I, I, I had to work real hard. The last couple of days, and this is the best departure I've had in a while. So I'm excited. We're going to be talking for the first time in third degree burn history after seven years. Seven years. Seven, why seven years? Why did it take us seven years to get around to talk about John Burns' next man? Stop it. I know what it was. It was a seven. Are you sure? It was a seven. <laughs> Why did it take seven years? It's it's like Pond Far. Every seven years, work. we have to talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> mm. That's a good one. Yeah, well, I, like I said, I'm, I'm excited to, to talk about this. There's a lot to get into. Um, now, as, as I was telling the guys, I had, I had a kind of rough week at work, and uh, I really didn't get to dig in and do all the research that uh, I typically do as we build up to an episode. So... I'm excited to hear what everybody else has got, and I'll throw in my two cents. But uh, uh, you know, this is it's still it's it's this is something that um, we've talked about covering uh, all along, and for one reason or another, we haven't gotten around to. I think part of the the issue there is I don't think that any of us own it digitally, and it's all in our collections, and we'd have to go and dig it out in order to be able to to read it. Fortunately for me, uh, a week ago. They had here in DFW the Dallas Fan Expo, uh, where uh, we had many um, TV. Also known as a super stars. spreader event. No, no, no. <laughs> well, the, many many TV and movie stars, um, uh, you know, and and uh, comic book celeb celebrities and other artists uh, have shown up to peddle their wares, sell signatures and pictures and you know photo ops and whatnot. Uh, a good turnout. It was a really, really good turnout. Um, my son thrives in the convention environment, I found, and he will talk to anybody, and it's it's really a cool thing. So we were out there for all three days, Christopher and I, and, and Beth came out with us on Saturday. And um, my daughter and her boyfriend were also out for Friday and Saturday, so it was a, a lot of fun for us. But the, the funny thing for me is I, I – you know, I, I got to see like um, – Michael Rooker, Yandu, who had lost his voice because he had gone to, I think, a, a Deep Purple concert or, or something the night before, maybe Black Sabbath. I, I don't know who it was he saw, but he'd lost his voice. So he was walking around going, hey, guys, Mary Poppins, y'all, you know. Uh, but he was really cool in that he actually walked out into the audience to talk to people rather than have them run up to the microphone. He was kind of doing the, the Jerry Springer thing. And then um, the Cobra Kai guys, and it was uh, William Zabka, uh, Johnny, and uh, Martin Cove, who plays Crease. And then um, I don't know the actor's name, the one that plays uh, Hawk, the the kid with the mohawk. 
uh, were the only ones there. Everybody else had uh, had not made it. But, uh, you know, those are the only ones that actually got to sit in on. Well, no, I saw Ming now as well. But uh, for me, one of the things that I, I spent most of my time in the dealer room, and the dealer's room is actually more like a dealer hall. It was huge, like the size of like four football fields. And wow. just so many vendors from around the country. And then the artist alley itself was just gigantic because they had along the wall all the the, the artists that that we know and we love uh, and inkers and such. You know, John Beatty was out there. Mike Golden was out there. Jim Lee, of course, was out there because he always goes to these things. And then uh, the um, the inner ring of the artist alley, of course, is a lot of the guys that. Uh, you may not have heard of or are, you know, more local to certain areas and they just ride the convention circuit and try to sell commissions and whatnot as they're out there. And, um, uh, there's a, an artist out there and I know he's been working on like Batman and stuff lately. His name is David Sanchez. And if you guys can just go out and look at his artwork, it's uh, very detailed, uh, pencil work. Uh, anyway, <laughs> Uh, during during my, my travel there on Friday, I came across one dealer who had a large shelf up of collections of books and trade paperbacks and whatnot. And he had Next Men issues 0 through 18, originally priced $30 for the collection, and it was half off. So I got the whole collection of them for 15 bucks. And so I was able to to sit there and pull those first two, uh, well, zero, issue zero and issue one uh, to read today instead of having to dig into my boxes, which are all shoved, you know, heavily into a closet. I took a long time to get there. I know I should uh, just sit down. <laughs> right. The first eight or so issues were collected in a trade paperback as well, including mm -hmm. issue zero. One and I don't know how far it goes six eight something like that. That's a great way to pick I, up the, the start of the story. And Tim, didn't you get that one for me? I when yes, I had a garage you sale. had a garage sale when we first started getting we first started podcasting. Uh, Fanula and I stopped by, and I think I that's one of the books I I picked up. And I have the original floppies. Of course, they're mm -hmm. buried in all my stuff. Same with the one I just bought from you. So I had to actually. I bought this from Amazon digitally, which I think is a trade Kirk's referring to, because it has the first six issues and it has twenty one twelve um, included. Mm. And no, then of course, it's just the IDW reprints because IDW, um, when they had the license for them, they reprinted them. This was like ten years ago as classic Next Men. I don't know. Uh, it doesn't list it as that. Um, okay. The funny thing also, is, I there, there's three trade paperbacks, and that does run zero through thirty. Yeah, covers the whole series. And right after I bought it, of course, I found it that you could. I found when I was doing research on the issues, I found where I could read it online. So I really kind of bought it for nothing, but at least I. I'm have, not sure uh, that that was always true because I've looked for it before online and was very pleasantly surprised to discover this morning that I could find it, and I've got it online in front of me. So. Um, oh wow! Something has changed. It it is there now. Yeah, and I think there's scans of the actual pages. It's not a digital. Yeah. yeah. I think. Yeah, right. and 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 stuff like that gets up and is usually taken down after a while. That's not from the archive.org uh, no. pages, is it? No, no. I think yeah. I read read comics online. Is that where you found yeah. yours, Kirk? Yeah. yeah. 
But uh, I mean, again, it's a, at least you know, the the fact is is that we we're all able to get you know some version of it to be able to reach it. I'm actually going to be looking at the physical copies as we're going through this. Um, and Tim, do you kind of want to give a little thing on the the issue zero and how that came about? You I, were talking about that before we got on. Yeah, I will. Do you want to do we want to kind of get right into synopsises or just kind of give a rundown? Well, I, how before we do though i think there's a lot of stuff that's gone on now uh i know that everybody here has watched uh doctor strange in the multiverse of madness i have not uh david still hasn't but i haven't either right i haven't what Uh, yeah we just watched it the other night how did my voice get that high Okay, <laughs> it, it's on well, I, Disney I now, but I I kind of want to go see it. It's still in the theaters here, so I kind of want to see it in the theater instead of watching it on TV. Ah, I agree. a purist. That's 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 cool. I, we I, I of course saw it in the theater when it came out, and we watched it um, just the other day as soon as it be, uh, became available for uh, streaming, and of course uh, really enjoyed it uh, both times. There, there, there is one gripe I have, but uh, that's it's it's a directional gripe. Um, but there's been, and I got to say, these last couple of weeks there have been so much stuff that's uh, available for streaming. Uh, Umbrella Academy season three just became available Friday. Uh, the Boys' the latest season is is ongoing right now, and just really getting insane uh not for small children that's for sure um and obi-wan just uh had its finale last uh, wednesday and uh i thought the finale was really really good um though i still have complaints about the production values of the whole series how many episodes is it six six okay six we'll probably watch it tonight yeah yeah you know the 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 story of this series isn't bad. It does raise canon questions, obviously. I mean, people are going to nitpick everything. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I try not to concern myself with something like that if it doesn't really jump out at me and say, this is wrong. You know, the thing that I, I just that, that, that kind of, you know, hurt the, the series from the early part up until the last episode was just the, the production value of it all seemed beneath vader you know um when you watch and i'll I'll, I'll talk more empire strikes back return of the jedi and even rogue one when you watch those and vader is on you know vader's on screen it just seems like everything has this incredible high production value shine to it um that just makes it even more makes his presence more powerful well, I'd and heard this that is each, supposed to, each episode is a, has a budget of about $15 million. It did not show up on screen t- as far as I'm concerned. And, and I think it's not necessarily the way they made up the sets and all. It was more how it was filmed. Uh, I think they did it in some form of digital video. They didn't use actual film. Um, and uh, it just... It, it was lacking. It, it, it like had a fog over it that made it look cheap. But this yeah, is I, just I, my yeah. opinion. Yeah, I know? wouldn't go that far, and I don't want to go too far down. The, we should save that for a C&C uh, yeah, and deep dive into that. Because I, I have 
I agree with you. I try to watch most of these shows with just an open mind, right? It's it's for entertainment. And mm-hmm. the wonks out there can get bogged down in the minutia of, well, that couldn't right. have happened here because of this and this. And it's like, okay, those are so obscure that, you know, you don't let that ruin it for you. I have other issues with the show, you know, such as the pacing, such as some of the, you know, some of the, the high point confrontations that I thought just, you know, weren't to you. I think what you're saying is it didn't rise to the caliber of what we all were expecting with having Darth Vader be a part of a, a series. So. I'd agree there. I, and I think you're right, Dave, about pacing and <clears throat> It really felt like this was more four episodes. They stretched out to six. There seemed like mm-hmm. there was a lot of filler in there. Yeah, this could yeah. have been a three three episode. Just make them fifteen minutes longer. Yep. And you would have had a really good good show. But I, again, I don't want to get too far down. We'll do a CNC. We can talk about that, and we can. Talk yeah, about yeah, it. you're you're right. But I, I just want to mention a few things. I think that if you haven't watched so far, you're looking for stuff to watch. Yes. Uh, these these are some great things. The Offer miniseries that's on HBO Max. It's about the making of The Godfather, and I, I probably mentioned it previously, but that is an amazing series that I, I recommend anybody watch if you've got any interest in The Godfather at all. And even if you don't, my son has no interest in watching The Godfather, but he watched the series with us, and he was just, like, really, really into it, especially the performance of Miles Teller. Um well, Stranger then, Things speak- is coming. Uh, the the final two episodes is coming up. What July first? Yeah, it, it'll be out next week. And uh, of course, season four, you can watch it, stream it, everything up until the last two episodes. And it's uh, it's an amazing season. And uh, I love the character of Eddie. If you if you guys know who I'm talking about, if you've been watching it, he seems to be the There's fan no- favorite for this season. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And then. Um, Miles Teller and Chris Hemsworth had a movie come out called Spiderhead that's on uh, Netflix, I believe. And uh, it, it that movie falls straight into the aesthetic of cassette futurism and uh, is a really, really good mind blower. Uh, definitely, definitely worth watching. Nice uh, sci-fi movie. Well, Phil Tippett has a, uh, a... Sorry, go ahead. Um, no, no, you're saying Phil <clears throat> Tippett? Phil Tippett has a film out called Mad God that is stop motion. It's kind of a combination of stop motion and live motion that's on it's on AMC Plus, but I guess you could probably rent it anywhere. My wife's got AMC Plus. And it's his first, you know. Yeah, I I signed up for the free week thinking I could watch Better Call Saul, but it's not available. So. Ah. (laughs) I know. Yeah. And. Uh, newest season of Westworld starts today on uh, HBO Max. So uh, if, if you still have interest in that, uh, I can't get away from it myself. I, I've enjoyed it so far. Anyway, let uh, does anybody else have anything that they're streaming that I haven't mentioned or Tim hasn't mentioned? Mm. We're, we're finishing up Pinky Blinders that has nothing to do with comics, but that's a pretty strong show if anybody's interested in kind of crime drama, kind of so- soprano type stuff. Now that's got Giovanni Ribisi and um, um, no, it's Cillian Murphy. Killian, Killian, Killian Murphy. Murphy. Yeah, uh, yeah. Was it wasn't Giovanni Ribisi in that one? Not that I saw. 
at some point. Now he's mm. in the offer, but uh, Tom Hardy's yeah, in okay. it. And supporting so role. Also a good reason to watch it. Yeah. Oh. Yep. Speaking of uh, secret indulgences, mm -hmm. guilty pleasures, um, rewatching the original Star Trek series and the episode Arena with the Gorn aired oh, last yeah. night. I was surprised they didn't have to do a lot of special effects on this one at all, any sweetening or digital, except for one thing that I caught this time. Let me guess. When the Gorn first appears, they added eyelids on it yep. so that it blinked a couple of times. It blinks. And that's <laughs> yeah, it. they like to do that. Yep. Well, Speaking of which, are you all watching Strange New Worlds? We are. Uh, we're, we're enjoying it quite quite a lot. My wife is not a big Star Trek person, but uh, Discovery and uh, Brave New Worlds has pulled her in. Yeah, same, same thing with my wife. She's... She's into Star Trek from she enjoys the the J.J. Abrams movies. Mm -hmm. uh, so when Discovery like came on, she she gave that a try and she liked Ethan Peck as Spock. So uh, when Strange New World started up, she was like, OK, let's watch that. And she likes that the, the episodic format that they're using yep. rather than the serialized. That's that's an improvement over Discovery and Picard. Um, I think I'm a couple episodes behind. I'm up to five or six, but. Um, this last episode is such a throwback to the original series. Um, it it just yeah it, it gave me the feels on that. Kind of kind of odd. <laughs> is anybody watching uh, the Orville? Because that's out. I am. Yeah. Oh, it's oh yeah. Really good. Really um, good. Watch never... like the first two or three episodes of the new season and, and, and enjoying it. That's I all that's out. I think. Yeah. So I never far. watched it. My wife did, but she's kind of fallen off and she's kind of lost interest in it. But I hear it's pretty good. Well, you know, the thing is, is like the first season was very, very jokey. I mean, very Seth MacFarlane humor yeah. uh, throughout. And as the later seasons come in, it's definitely gotten more of that next gen vibe to it. Uh, less, less jokiness. Uh, you know, Seth MacFarlane as a captain's taken the role on quite seriously. And, you know, they've done a lot of good character development. Now, the one one interesting thing is, you know, Norm MacDonald, of course, passed away last year. Yeah. And but he had gotten to do all the voiceover work for his character on the Orville for this season. So that they already had all that. Oh, good. Um, so we are going to get to so, see his character again. Yeah. Yeah. His his character is intact for for the season. Now, the, oh. the sad thing is, is that they only agreed to do one season. So there's no guarantee that we'll get any more Orville after this. So well, if you I want to support it, you got to watch it. Yeah, that's on Hulu, right? Hulu's producing yep. that? Yeah. yeah. Yep. Mm -hmm. uh, I, to your point, of Brian, of how jokey it was, is that was why I couldn't get into it. But I think that was... McFarlane had to do that to keep it... To con so it's considered a parody. He, he sold it as a parody. Yeah, right. he sold it as a parody. So if he yeah. if he toned that and, down, uh, then it would just be kind of a uh, considered a ripoff, I guess. Uh, but it's a shame that he can't eliminate, really tone that down. Then it would be, I think, a pretty good show. But that just pulls I think, me well, out. They, they, have, they have though in the because it's not even called yeah, Orville. It, it's Orville New Frontier. I I would say a lot of that's been axed. That's in, good. Uh, yeah, it, it really has. And, and I mean, the, the, as the series went on, I started enjoying it more and more and more. Um, 
as they did a lot of the character driven episodes, uh, they and they introduced the the newer villains and such. Uh, it's it's definitely uh, a lot more enjoyable in that in that. And it, it before Strange New Worlds came out, it was giving us that uh, that Star Trek that we were missing. It was doing better Star Trek than Discovery or Picard was. Yes, um, and probably in a ways, it's still probably doing a little better than. Strange New Worlds, and the goat has spoken. Well, I, I know we got a hard stop in an hour. Yeah, yeah, we, we, got, we, we, got, we got two go issues. We're bringing you not one, but two issues. Yep, yep. So, Tim, do you want to get into it? I will get into it. Let me write down <laughs> a... Uh, so, tell us a all. little bit about how issue zero came about. I will. What is I'm going to tell you what it is. Okay. Uh, it's the uh, uh, beginning of it's all things. <laughs> uh, I got I to gotta hurry up or Kirk's going to ping me. One ping only, please. Well, <laughs> John Byrne next been issue zero is really... A, a combination of four little vignettes that came out in Dark Horse Presents months earlier. So my information is issue zero coming out in February 18th of 92, but it's really made up of the <clears throat> little eight-page stories, four-parters, uh, in Dark Horse Presents 54, 55, 56, 57, which are all from uh, September through December of 1991. Each one of them is about eight pages. Uh, and they were entitled, they were called, and it's the same in the issue zero is uh, Prelude, Interlude, Interlude 2, and Nativity. Uh, and like I said that uh, September 91 was Dark Horse Presents 54, which presented the first part, and then October gave us part two. November was part three, and December was part four. Uh, then they just, then they actually issue, uh, released issue one in January, and then in February they put the four together, which seems an odd way to do it because the four parts really do lead right up to issue one. But yeah, and if you buy issue one, you're just kind of thrown in. Thrown in. Yeah. Thrown into the story. Now, the. Issue one, um, the one I've got here, has got a almost cereal box cover where it's the, the same consistency of a cereal box or uh, maybe even a prestige format uh, cover. Like Baxter paper? And it's in it, yeah, it's um, embossed so you can actually feel the texture of what's on the, the page. Now, Zero doesn't do that. Zero is a straight, um, very well produced. Uh, comic, and it's a little bit longer uh, can, than normal because it's four. It's the yeah. four parts put together. Um, yeah. But this is a, a a John Byrne joint, front to back for the most part. He's writer, penciler, inker, letterer. Uh, our colorist is Matt Webb. Uh, he does the cover art. Uh, now for editing, I found this may be a little inconsistency for. The Dark Horse Presents, it's listed as Barbara Kessel. But for issue zero, it's listed as Randy Strandley. So I don't know if he re-edited well, it when they Kessel, put together. She was managing editor at Dark Horse. Okay. 
So. And Randy Stradley is executive editor okay. of Dark Horse. So between the two of them, they put these issues together. Um, mm -hmm. And okay, well, I will get into kind of and and let me get into this because Burn. I'm going to list the books that Burn. It came out the same month. Burn put out the four uh, ish, uh, parts, not issue zero. So. So we're going to start with September 91. You get Dark Horse Presents 54 with the first part called Prelude. Um, and that same month, he was Iron Man 274. He was writer on that. Uh, he had Namor Submariner number 20, writer-artist. Sensational She-Hulk number 33, writer-artist. Uncanny X-Men number 282, he was writer only. And OMAC number 1 writer-artist, which we have previously covered. Mm -hmm. uh, October 91, we got Dark Horse Presents 55, interlude. Uh, we had Iron Man 275, writer-only. Namor, number 21, writer-artist. Sensational She-Hulk 34, writer-artist. Uncanny X-Men 283, scripter-only. And OMAC 2, writer-artist. Uh, November 91, Dark Horse Presents, number 56, uh, Interlude 2. Uh, he did something called Comic Shop News, number 231. He did a cover. Uh, Iron Man, number 276, is writer. Uh, John Burns, 2112, which was uh, like an original hardcover graphic novel, which is kind of the prelude to Next Men. He was writer-artist. Namor Submariner, number 22, writer-artist. Sensational She-Hulk, number 35, writer-artist. Uncanny X-Men 284, scripter. X-Men 4, scripter. And OMAC, number 3, writer-artist. And finally, December 91. Dark Horse presents number 57, Nativity. Uh, and Brian, you can fill in on this. I found Batman Ver versus predator number one mm -hmm. you said he did just a baseball card or something it was an insert yeah that's that's all i was able to find on that i mean if you in fact is if you go out and you look for john bernard on, on batman versus predator you're going to find that image and then there's another image that uh, he and art adams apparently worked on together oh cool but it was a it, the, the the specific one was the uh, baseball card yeah uh, we had Namor Submariner, number 23, writer-artist. Sensational She-Hulk, number 36, writer-artist. Uncanny X-Men, 285, scripter-only. X-Men 5, scripter-only. And finally, OMAC, number 4, writer-artist. So in those four months, he was uh, a very busy person. I can tell you a little bit about uh, Comic Shop News. It was an in-house promotional uh, rag on newsprint, no glossy cover. Um, I don't think it was stapled. I don't recall, but it was nothing but a, a collection of promotional materials from all the, the big two and independent publishers as well. And it was distributed for free in the comic yeah, shops it was, to promote other products. Yeah. I don't remember like what the cover around. was though. It's still Is it around? Yeah, oh. it's still around. Wow. Okay. Yep, and we'll have little interviews and things, but uh, yeah, it's mainly to promote, you know, upcoming work and talk about, you know, um, 
new artists or new series, stuff like that. But yeah, it's still still around. Well, it's this issue is called tool. Crossover Classics, the Marvel DC Collection. So when I've seen the cover, it's a, I think it's a Marvel DC kind of crossover cover with the two teams fighting. But all right, we uh, do we want to get into issue? Now I'll be covering issue zero, which came out in like I said January, or actually did I say February of '92, which is these four parts put together. Well, before we dive into the synopsis that you have i think we want to just touch briefly on what our experience was with next men right yeah. like when did when did we come to it uh, i'll start i i bought it off the stands when it came out um and i don't remember if i knew of it ahead of time from reading it in some kind of uh, news magazine or something i don't remember being aware of it but i and i don't remember picking up one and then zero seeing me i they my memory is i read zero first and then i picked up one but i read it off the stands until it ended in issue 30. i remember that at the time i was uh really fighting to stay afloat financially and so i didn't get to the comic shops as often as i liked um, and so I was able to get zero, one, and two all together uh, when I saw them, and I wasn't aware of the Dark Horse Presents issues. Um, I was kind of dubious of it because it was out of the sandbox, and I didn't know, you know, if it was going to be something I was going to like. But I found the whole, um, you know, the the what, what what is it called, the greenery or the. Mm-hmm. The thing that they're inside, I thought the idea behind that to be so intriguing, and I was just—I actually wanted more of that uh, when I first read it. It was one of those things, like, yeah, it's like ever since I was a little kid, I always had this like dream, nightmare, whatever you want to call it, where I'm actually my whole life is in my head, and I'm like <laughs> strapped down to some thing, kept asleep while they monitor me, you know. And of course, years later, when the Matrix came out, I said, "Oh man, they ripped off John Byrne." Yeah, oh, it is very Matrix-like. <laughs> but uh, I did this. You know, he, he wasn't the first person to come up with that concept. I don't think. Uh, I think, golly, wasn't it Alan Moore or Grant Morrison or someone actually had something in the '80s, The Invisibles or something, where it was sim- a similar idea? I, I, I could be wrong. Could Please, be. somebody correct me. Well, well, I think the idea of... Write uh, to us at gottagetburned <laughs> at gmail.com if Brian is wrong. Yeah, well, uh, I've been wrong before. My experience <laughs> with uh, Next Men was probably from Comic Shop News, and so I bought it off the racks, or the, not the spinner rack, but the, the shelves, and I had a standing order for anything with John Byrne. So I got all of the first 30. Wow. I was very excited to grab the a copy of the first in whatever it is, 10 issues for a reasonable price. And it's sitting someplace in my storage boxes. So um, I remember the buzz about it because it was such an obvious play on the name X men, mm-hmm. next men. Um, but it really is not connected in any way. No, it's tangentially, but yes, John. Uh, yeah. Um, this is actually kind of my, 
foray into next men i didn't i was in a different collecting spot during the times when this came out which was i really wasn't collecting um i was just picking up an issue here and there and <clears throat> at the time i didn't really hear much about it i knew it was there and i thought oh you know maybe i should try it out but it just didn't capture me right away so i wasn't that interested so i just kind of passed it and over the years i've seen it i saw the trades come out and i thought about it but i just never did so this was my uh breakthrough on the next men so mm -hmm. the, I, i'm reading it for the very first time now how did how yeah. did this series coincide with the the development of image comics i mean it, it came out in the, around the same time didn't it well no, i think this precedes it yeah, yeah. image is 93 because i know the image yeah was founded in 92, but didn't they start getting together in 91 or 90 to talk about doing this? Well, they they would have, but, and I'll just briefly touch on, so I, I didn't read any of Next Men either. Now, granted, I was only 12, 13 when this came out. Um, I was, you know, neck deep in Jim Lee's X-Men, um, mm -hmm. which had launched, uh, what was it, October, September, something of 91? Uh, and, and was reading that. So when I saw, I do recall seeing it on the shelf and I flipped through it and, and to what John said, I just thought it's a ripoff of X-Men, you know, because, you know, at the time, Jim Lee's X-Men, the relaunch of X-Men was like the hottest thing ever to happen in comics. Um, and it was a great book. So I, I totally passed it up too. I didn't, I didn't pick it up. So I, this is really my first read through of this series. Well, You're in I could, for a great ride. Yeah, I could see this as if you compare this to to X Men. Yeah. Okay. So, um, did everybody give their accounting? I think so. I t to David's point, I think if you compare this to to like he said X Men, which was, I think it that still has the highest selling of any issue out. Uh. This is much more streamlined and sterile, and it's not a lot of flashy superhero stuff. It's more, it's a little more grounded. And I think that was Burns' idea was to do a kind of a hard sci-fi look, realistic look at you know superhero uh, type characters. And I think we should also mention that this is Dark Horse, so it's more. PG-13 compared to with the violence and language compared to Marvel or DC at the time. <coughs> so it's a little more of an adult book. Gotcha. Although it's mm -hmm. compared to today, it's pretty tame. Uh. I can tell you what I've heard has been John Byrne's high concept, except I'm afraid it will spoil a reveal later on. So I'm, I'm, I guess I've decided to keep my mouth shut. We'll talk about it later. Yeah, it's, good idea. It'll blow something for you. So go ahead. No, we're ready. We can get into because uh, the first story is a little longer because it's a yep. it's a it's a like a thirty two page. Um, all right, uh, this is John Burns Next Men number zero, uh, and I've broken it into the four parts. And part one is called Prelude. We open on a high tech facility. Story already in progress. Senator Aldous Hilltop is asking Dr. Brimmer about the base's shutdown. The bases are running experiments for over 30 years, but the senator says he can no longer hide the base's activities and all evidence must be removed. 
We looked down on a room full of John Byrne tech and what looked like life pods. An inspector from J Street is arriving in 24 hours uh, and all evidence must be expunged. The center asks Bremer if he has a problem terminating the life of the test subjects. He does not. Bremer does express regret that the experiment could not be finished and the senator's cover story was to grow stronger corn and bigger cows. Hilltop Hansi had a hand in the Kennedy assassination when the president was getting too close back in the 60s. The doctor looks in one of the test subjects, a man in one of the pods in a high-tech suit. Think Matrix. One of the technicians worries about the subjects damaging the equipment when they turn off life support. Bremer meets with the senator in his office. He tells him the shutdown is going as scheduled and tries to convince the politician to finish the experiments and possibly let him publish his work. There is no time. The inspector will be there soon. Just then, the inspector, Tony Murchison, enters the office. She is early. Hilltop says they are not ready yet. Some sensitive areas have not been prepared. But she tells them, don't worry. Her security clearance gives her access to all material. Hilltop takes her on a tour of the base. She sees cows the size of elephants and the stronger corn. Seen off screen. She approaches a door and asks what's inside. Like she was looking for something to be out of place. The two men try to brush her off, but she knees Hilltop and tries to slam the door behind her. A guard gets his hand in the door jam, and she sprays his fingers with an acid. She runs down the hall. Suddenly, a large door is ripped off its hinges in front of her. Part 2. Interlude. Cut to an idyllic outdoor setting. We meet Nathan and Bethany, two beautiful young people enjoying nature. Nathan tells her he can see the stars and the planets around her. She questions him, but he is questioning their very existence. How do they know what they know? Bethany explains their knowledge comes like everything else in the world. They just want something and pop, there it is. She tells them to stop worrying and they go meet their two, friend, two of their friends. A tall man named Jack and, a petite, and his petite girlfriend named Jazz. Jack wants to show them something. Suddenly, Danny speeds into frame. Jack lifts a huge boulder and crushes it with his bare hands as Jazz nimbly jumps out of the way. Harm's way. Bethany is hit by a flying rock, but is unharmed to the shock of her friends. Later, Jack is feeling bad for hurting Bethany. He's puzzled with his growing strength. Jazz tries to comfort him, and as they grow close and start to dance, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, Jack grabs a pair of handles on the wall, and we cut to the real world. He rips his life pod open. Part 3, Interlude Part 2. Jazz is frantically looking for Nathan and Bethany. Jack is gone. She explains he vanished from under her while dancing. Jazz worries Jack might be fading, but her two friends calm her. He wouldn't fade. They head over to what looks like a graveyard. Nathan explains when their friends showed indication of reaching, they would fade and it might happen be happening to them. He, and, uh, he has Danny use his super speed to check the area for Jack. Danny speeds off. Jack cannot be found. Jazz feels strange and she vanishes. In the real world, Jack pulls her from her life pod. They see the three other life pods with the figures of Nathan, Danny, and Bethany. Jack wakes the rest. They undress and find they are all bald except for Bethany. When Jack reaches for her hair, he pulls back. Her hair strands are sharp as knives. They need to see what is beyond the door. 
and Nathan literally sees beyond the walls, and Jack rips the door open. Nathan explains their powers seem to be intensified in the real world. All the events take place as Inspector Murchison locked herself in the room. She confronts the five teens. Nativity, Part 4 We check in on the guard who had his hand, or what is left of it, caught in the door. His hand is fused to the door. Hilltop does not have time for cutting equipment. He grabs the guard's gun and blasts the hand from, the arm, from his arm. Inside the room, Murchison needs to get the kids to safety. Jack rips the cover off uh, Jeffrey's tube, and everyone crawls for freedom. Murchison takes a bullet before she can get in the vent. Jack smashes the guard and pulls her in with him. They come out on the top level and steal her car, something completely foreign to the five teens who have never seen a vehicle. As she pulls away, Merchant sees soldiers following. One has a bazooka and fires. The car explodes real good. To be continued. Very good. Oh, yeah, oh, that's a very you. good synopsis, Tim. Thank, thank you. you. And it's it was a lot of trying to because Burn has a different approach. We are kind of thrown into the story. We mm-hmm. kind of sprinkles information, but we know about as little as the. Um, the teens do. do, the characters do. So we're learning as they learn. So it was a little hard to write that without getting too uh, expositioning. Yeah. Senator Hilltop is definitely an, the, the evil sort, isn't he? I mean, he is almost a mustache-twirling Republic serial villain. Complete with bolo yeah, tie and everything. Yeah, Lex Luthor uh, in Superman level. And the same kind of uh, lacking of a moral compass. Well, he's that typical government um, politician agent that he thinks he's... He, I'm sure he doesn't think he's the villain. He's doing something that's needed. And he'll do... He'll go to any length to, uh, as we see in the next issue, to, mm-hmm. to cover things up or keep things quiet. Uh, he'll be expedient. He doesn't care about the minions... No, he shot the no. guy's hand off to get no. him out of the door. It's all right. about the, it's all about the the, the, the project is, and, and I didn't get it in my synopsis, but he, maybe this is revealed later because I can't remember. I haven't read these in thirty years or more, and I, I yeah. can't remember. He says he has a more personal involvement in it, so I don't know if that's a hint that, uh, he other I than him face off later on. I yeah, don't remember. But he apparently came up with the idea, convinced. Uh, the government to pay for it. He kept it hidden. Uh, and he, like I said, he hints that he had something to do with Kennedy's assassination when Kennedy was asking too many questions. So it's kind of yeah, been his life work. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I like, you know, the, the, the characters are all incredibly distinctive. When you're looking at each character, you know exactly who they are. Dr. Bremer is a very, you know, particular sort of, he constantly, as I'm looking at him, he's reminding me of somebody, but I cannot put my finger uh, on who to say. I was thinking Archie Goodwin. Yeah, could be Archie, but uh, with a a good measure of the leader's high forehead. He does have a, he does have a a huge forehead at times. You know what it reminds me of? There was a um, a kid's game called... uh, uh, it's something like, who is it? 
um, and it's a case, it's like the old clue game where uh, you can eliminate all the people who are blonde, so you flip them down and you narrow the field of suspects. And each one of the faces is so distinctively drawn that, you know, no two will have the same exact combination of features. Thick eyebrows, big lips, uh, blonde hair, big ears. So by asking questions of the other uh, person you're playing against, you can uh, narrow it down and try to eliminate suspects until you have only one person, and that's who it is, or who is it, I think, is the name of the game. But, you know, it's funny because I was looking at the image on page five, and the thing that strikes me is that, okay, if you took John Byrne's own image, stretched the head up, yes. chunked the chin down, and just gave him a mustache rather than the beard, and that's, you know, like an older John Byrne. And when I say older, older from that time, yeah. uh, maybe, you know, in his 40s or 50s. Um, I, I don't get that from other images, but that one right there, it's definitely apparent that, you know, it's just like, it's almost like he took a, a, a Facebook phone, uh, an iPhone filter to his character and just made those adjustments uh, or a Photoshop uh, enhancement. That's kind of interesting. But it's still, you know, what, what the, the point I was making is that all of these characters, and he introduces a lot of them, are all incredibly distinctive from each other. Yes. The next men themselves, of course, uh, we get to see the idyllic version of them in the habitat, but as they get out in the real world, you can see that already from the very beginning, things are changing for them. Nathan especially. And he's kind of, he's, he's also doing his kind of parallel storytelling that he's kind of doing now in Elswin, where mm -hmm. the, the the first kind of two parts of this are happening kind of at the same time, and mm -hmm. they meet up. Yep. What I refer I, to as the swirling toilet bowl story, yep. where it all comes together in the middle. <laughs> I kind of thought that uh, I, I saw some parallels because everybody was talking about is this next men or X-Men. I saw some parallels to Quicksilver, to Cyclops, to Colossus, but I couldn't I couldn't place the other two, um, you know, the gals sort of She-Hulk, sort well, of Nightcrawler, but that's really pushing it. Bethany is to me like Diamond Lil from uh, yes. Omega yeah. Squad. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. And Jasmine is more like Nightcrawler. Yeah, she's just, just yeah. in the way she moves. Which is kind of interesting. Does, didn't John Byrne not like Nightcrawler? It wasn't that he didn't like him. He just thought that you know, he was a hodgepodge of powers and abilities. And, and yeah. you know, that, that kind of falls back on Claremont and Cockrum. You know, they mm -hmm. were the, this Cockrum's favorite character. Yeah. And, you know, gave him the ability to disappear in shadows, to teleport and, uh, you know, has the tail. And, you know, it's just it, it was too many things uh, that didn't necessarily make sense, or at least at that time as a mutant. I mean, whatever they did with his origin later, um, you know, the, 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 the character is Azel as his father, uh, you know, just there's. It was just not uh, not something that Byrne was, you know, happy with. That being said, he still draws them today and elsewhere, and and he makes good use of them. Yeah, tragic, well, but yeah, he kills them. Well, uh, anyway. I think because up until then, 
mutants were, they look like normal folks with just a power overlaid. And then here comes Nightcrawler, who obviously doesn't and can't go out in public and doesn't, uh, can't revert to a human form and uh, kind of what Quietly did later with uh, in the X-Men where they, they, so many more of the characters had much more outwardly uh, different non-human features when they had a power. Well, I think early Hank McCoy might argue that. Um, yeah, but he could. Angel, but but he I, could. I take your point. Yeah, he could so, dress up and look just like a big guy. So back to next men. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let's not, not lose track here. <laughs> we, t- <laughs> we get we got some limited time. So uh, I love the explosion at the end. Good cliffhanger and, and great visual. I was I was looking at that and I was wondering if if you look at the bottom. Is that supposed to be somebody on the bottom right side standing there with mouth open? It almost looks like the the head is the shape of Tony Murchison. Or is it just the argle bargle of the explosion? Uh, where are you talking about below the, the it's wheel? It's in the bo- it's in the bottom right hand corner. Um, and yeah, it's below the wheel, just a little bit to the right. Yeah, I see it. No, I don't think that's supposed to be anything in that's, particular. That's just the argle-bargle of the expression. Yeah, yeah. yeah, that's just part yeah. of his. Um, and yeah, he, when you say cliffhanger, Brian, you're exactly right. Because as we find in the next, when we cover the next issue, it's, you know, you think one thing happened and something else happened. but It's like a Republic serial. Exactly. Exactly like that. And... And, you know, again, we're giving hints throughout the story, you know, who, who is the who is control, who is uh, they say J office or uh, J Street, you know, Murchison, who where did she uh, come from? Who does she work for? Yeah. It's very uh, clandestine. Yeah, and, right yeah. And um, I, I like the uh, we were talking about some of the elements that, that drawing from some of the X-Men time. And I like the graveyard scene, which yes. is very much d- Days of Future Past reminiscence. Yes. Yeah. yes. You know, with all the tombs or the gravestones and all that. It was, it was, and I got kind of got an eerie feeling seeing that. I mean, yeah. just yeah. his visual there as part of the story. I, I kind of got interested in the story right away. I was like, oh, this is actually interesting. <laughs> Um, so it really, the storytelling just from the zero issue drew me in and I wanted to read the next chapter and I was really looking forward to getting to issue one. So he did a really good job. Either I was on, you know, to, for me, I don't, I don't know how it was for you guys, if it was that issue or if it took a bit for you to kind of get it, but I was kind of like, wow, this is kind of cool right away. I have the same feelings. I was in, in it right away. I was ready for the next one. And that's a and that's a fine balance because you can you can do that's a good way to get a, a reader in and kind of hook them because they're curious like what is going on I need to read more but if you don't resolve it enough quick enough then right. you'll lose you'll lose that person because they're like well you're never giving me information I'm 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 getting a little tired of this but yeah you got to be yeah. really careful with the amount of threads you have out there in a given mm-hmm. time. Yeah. But the the thing I found interesting, you know, and it's this is on page nineteen, is as uh, what uh, the kid that runs, what's his name? Danny. Danny. Dan, Danny is he's running, you know, he's running past the gravestones, and they're all single names. 
you know, they're obviously, you know, none of these characters are going to have last names, but they're all such basic single names. You figured that they're probably going to reuse them because he runs past Roger, Joshua, Michael, Robert. I don't even know what the, the, the other one is there. It just ends in ARD, maybe Richard. And of course, you sit there and you think about the names that they have. It's like, and again, this is, you know, early 90s. Past the late '80s, so you—I mean—you probably had the whole Brandon, uh, <laughs> Dalton, uh, you know, listings in there. But he—he he didn't draw the other tombstones with enough detail so you could actually read um, all those names because there's like 20 of them there that you—you you can see that there there are names on them, but they're just uh, too far away to get uh, to get the names. Mm-hmm. Well, he- I wondered if Roger was a nod to Roger Stern, but. I can't match the other ones up, so I'm gonna. I'm gonna. Well, I mean, again, they're such basic names. They're 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 everyday names. They're it, it. You you could sit there and say, okay, yeah, Rogers, Roger Stern, Michael could be any of the Michaels that were at Marvel or DC or or, or whatever. And ro- same thing with Robert. And sometimes they're just names. They're they don't. Yeah. Yep. They exactly. could be names of uh, <laughs> relatives or friends. They could be just names he's pulled out of the air. Out of a baby or the phone book, or yeah, yeah, exactly. Because back then they still used phone books. Yeah. So let's okay. Let's go. I on. wanted I wanted to go back though uh, to page five, and this is when uh, Hilltop is having his conversation with Brimmer. And as at at the, in the very top panels, Hilltop is at his desk, and you see the gun up on the wall. Again, yes. it never gets fired. That storytelling joke. Um, but there's a picture on Hilltop's desk, and it appears to be of a woman. Can anybody tell who that's supposed to be? I mean, if you've got any forward notice in the, the rest of the series, because I, I don't remember the rest of the no. series, except for specific it. things with the characters. So that that has got my attention now, uh, knowing Byrne to be you know who he is as a storyteller. He doesn't usually put something in there unless it's going to have bearing on the story later. I don't I, recall her. I don't even recall what happens to Hilltop because I haven't read these in so long. So. Oh, okay. Well. <laughs> I don't remember Tony Murchison, what happens to her, but I'm invested in the character. So I don't want her to die with that gunshot wound. She she uh, makes me think of Byrne-era Lois Lane. Yes. Yeah. Yes. She's, she's, Definitely yeah. so. <laughs> or I also um, had a little... Just her visual to me is like when he, when John Byrne revisited the Invaders reunion storyline in Namor series uh, for Warrior Woman. Yeah. So, the black know. leather, the slick. Yeah. 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 And well, the he, strong, the strong look, the the power. You know, even though she doesn't have superpowers, she's just like she's in control. She's in charge. And and Tim, in your synopsis, you said you're, you're talking about this incident on page seven when she knees Hilltop in the groin. Just before that, when Hilltop says storage and Bremer says lab, yeah, that was Bremer was flubbing that on purpose. He wanted her to to look into it. If they had both said storage, she might have just walked on by. But by contradicting the other one. It, it you know, raises her suspicion more, and she's going to want to go in there. But you get the the impression that because she arrived early, that she's there. She's looking for something. 
Okay. Yeah. She's suspicious of something from the get go, and that just mm-hmm. probably gives her. And, and also, you know, unless because she arrived early, why don't they leave that door open? Why is it? I, I can't tell if it's open or if she's pushing it open. Um, well, she notices. Yeah, she notices it. Oh yeah, I can see what you're saying. She yeah. could have. But it's like almost like she knew that was there because there's yeah. no markings or anything as to what that is. So it's like she had some advanced uh, intel that maybe, uh, you know, whatever the whatever she thinks is going on is behind this door, and that's when this she. This is this is another parallel to Uncanny X Men because in Uncanny X Men they don't have any kind of warning sign or anything on the danger room door. It's just a thick door. <laughs> And everybody walks in there by accident. Yeah. And then here you are, the most important part of this whole lab, and it's an unmarked door. <laughs> I want to ask you guys what you think of, and it's throughout this issue. Uh, you see it some on the splash page, and you see more of it on. And my pages are numbered differently, like the third page, I guess. Um, or when you, they're looking in on, I think it's Jack, because he's got the red eyebrows. Or then on the page where uh, Hilltop is talking to Brimmer in his office, he is using cross-hatching for shading, yes. where normally he would use, I think, Zipatone, but he or is... Du- the, duo shade. Yeah, duo shade. Era. These yeah. are manually drawn in, and it almost looks like he's trying to mimic a Zipatone, but he's doing it by hand. I don't know if that's just... Because I think at the same time he was doing this, he was doing OMAC, and he used Zipatone heavily in that. Well, the, the, the issues, the, the months before this was when he did OMAC and also had done uh, the bulk of work on Namor. He was in his last issues of Namor here before Jay Lee took over the art. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And if you noticed, he stopped right at that point of using Duo Shade altogether, and I think it's basically because he ran out. There is no more. Yeah. And um, so he started, I guess, experimenting uh, with his own own things to do this. I don't know, you know, if it was something he drew in or if he had a CAD program because they're very, very, very either straight or proportionately curved lines. The image at the bottom of page five where Hilltop is at his desk and you see those lines. And it's supposed to be the shadow of the window blinds is what it is. That's uh, going across him there. Uh, they, look, they look hand-drawn to me. I don't know if he's doing any kind of a program. They look like he's just put those in when he was inking. Well, and, and what I think of when I see this now is, like, if you're reading X-Men Elseworn right now, when you see the grid perspective lines that he puts in, he he doesn't draw those in. Those are uh, CAD lines, aren't they? No, he draws. I think those are all hand drawn. Talking about when he's doing his like infinity lines. Because he is a ruler. Because I mean, they're yeah. incredibly straight. Yeah. Yeah, he has a he'll have a he'll have a ruler, but same but like with the, the 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 herringbone or houndstooth, whatever it is, in Brimmer's jacket. Those are real yeah. hand drawn. That's a question definitely to pose. I mean, you definitely got me curious about that. The whole uh, whole shading of it. With the, the the window blinds and everything reminds me of Phoebe Mars's office from yeah early Namer yeah well it, this whole thing has a little bit of a noir feel to it mm-hmm. uh, and even I was and I don't even really watch the show but it has a little bit of Westworld to it because you never quite know what's truth 
and you kind of find, as you've talked about, you kind of find your way as you go, um, which is a good hook to, again to, to bring us in. Did yeah. it occur to anybody else to question whether Tony Murchison really is the agent, or is this somebody who just appears the day before and claims to be Tony to get into the the facility? Did that well, I mean, anybody? she would have to have had very uh, convincing credentials to get into this facility. I agree. I, it's a question that popped into my head when I first read it. I went, wait a minute. They weren't expecting her. She doesn't look like she's supposed to. She's obviously, you know, penetrated. It just red flags were going off in my head. I was like, wait a minute. Well, I don't remember how this plays out. At, at the bottom of the first page, when she comes in, she says, "Yeah." And they're talking about security clearance. She says, "That's hardly a problem. My security clearance got me this far. It can take me the rest of the way." So yeah. you could read that as maybe she does have forged credentials. Maybe she's not this inspector. She's a plant um, from J Street or the controller, or whoever is over overseeing this whole I, thing. Uh, yeah. That. That didn't get into my head. I just realized that they just assumed based on a name yeah. that mm -hmm. she would be a, a man a man, mm -hmm. or a certain aspect of thing or a certain thing rather than, and they were shocked by it. So I, I yeah, we do, it does get, I mean, we do find out later some things um, about her and who she is. So I, I, I that will be resolved uh, or addressed in a, not directly, but in a way in issue one actually yeah. or i don't know i kept reading ahead i had the trade or i was reading the the trade i borrowed <laughs> I'm the, trade to. the library and I, I i read the the full trade i couldn't stop reading it <laughs> i right. was like oh God. God. Great. it's gonna pull That's you great. right along yeah it does it's good storytelling it really is i, I want to go back to pages two and three you know tim you're talking about the burn tech on page two because that's where you can see the pods and uh, everything there. The thing that I really like is that Burn has gotten away from the standard Burn tech and making the control panel that Bremer uses both on page two and on page three, um, because he's used color on a black palette. It almost looks like a Star Trek Next Generation. Um, La Cars. Yeah, Car uh, control panel. You, you almost half expect to see the transporter little three things. Uh, <laughs> Uh, there, uh, you know, I, I know we want to need to move on to the next one, but you know, the the thing is, we should move into the next chapter for a moment because the first um, eight pages is all the high tech, all the modern day, all the the stuff that we see that that, that you know, you're, you're accustomed to seeing burn draw, and then boom, when you go to page nine, when you go to that next chapter, you're in a garden area, uh, beautiful half naked people. Um, girls with headbands <laughs> and tube tops. Uh, just a very, very different uh, view and image from what you were seeing in the, in the, in the first chapter there. Right. It's and very, then it goes... It yeah, kind of Logan's run. Uh, mm -hmm. They're all wearing oh, kind of these great, tunics. That's a, that's a great thing. You know, I hadn't even thought about the whole Logan's run thing, even to the point where they go to jack's uh room and jazz goes in there and it turns into a cinemax on saturday night uh special but it's all very innocent it's not mm -hmm. 
Yes. I mean, it's it's again, it's PG thirteen, but they they're not quite. They don't quite have like children minds of a child, but it's uh, it's very much like the the next it's gen new episode. Age sensibility. It's yeah. new age sensibility, which was very prevalent in next gen. Yeah, exactly. And there's a next gen episode called Haven or not Haven. Uh, is that the one where all they're all scantily clad? Yes, yes, and it's uh, where Wesley is accused of destroying something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah um, I'm in a dream house. Right. So those people, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that goat is really quick on the draw. Yes, it is. Did it beat the cowbell, Kirk? <laughs> yeah, I haven't reached for that once. <laughs> yeah, the the other thing I want to draw attention to is that when you finally start seeing all of them uh, as they're brought out of the pods and they're in uh, the full body tech, uh, I, I think that Byrne tried very, very hard and to a small extent failed to make it not look Kirby-esque. Um, when you get around the head... You can't help but you know think, okay, that does remind me. It's a little Kirby-esque. But I think he was trying so very hard not to make any of this look Kirby-esque because there really isn't any Kirby influence in this. Well, I, I, I didn't quite understand why they had these kind of armored suits on. The, the little outfits they have underneath, which are kind of, I don't know, look like they might be leather and mesh or some kind of neoprene mesh, that looks like something that they would probably wear in the pod. I guess mm-hmm. the the rest of them are meant to uh, stimulate their muscles so they won't atrophy, I guess. Um, it's like the suits that they wear in uh, Ready Player One to sense everything. Right, right. <laughs> and kind of interesting. It, it is also interesting how Jack's suit just pops the muscles uh, as they've gotten out of the pod. They're, uh, you know, they're... they're powers that they, they they have are creating affectation in modern day nathan's eyes as you see start to change mm-hmm. as we go on jack's uh muscles are starting to uh to he's, grow he's popping out of his little mesh as he rips the door off mm-hmm. um, beth bethany's uh, things are definitely um obvious as far as you know her hair yeah and uh, that that plays into later stories heavily. It's funny though because Bethany, from a distance, looks like Wild Child uh, from Alpha Flight, just the yeah. way her hair is and the way the way the hair plays against uh, that that costume that she's in. Um, and this is but, this is uh, the the thing with her hair. This is the first uh, hand a uh, use of burn making this thinking about trying to think about this much more ground and realistic that you've got how many invulnerable characters do you have? And nobody's ever brought this up. He's trying to think about this logically that if you were, you know, indestructible or invulnerable, uh, your hair would be like super fine wire, I guess. And if, you know, you could uh, easily cut your hand on it. And no split ends. That's amazing. She should put on the (laughs) shampoo line. Well, she's going to have trouble cutting her hair is what she's going to have trouble. Yeah. Now, did uh, Tony's gun, is that like the, it's not the Blade Runner gun, obviously, and it's, I, I, I don't know of anything to match it with uh, in movies or TV. It's just, it's a very unusual looking gun. You almost wouldn't take it seriously. Well, the 
clips it's ejecting when she's firing. She, I'm assuming those are two beams, but they look almost like they're rulers coming out of the gun. Uh, <laughs> but she's ejecting what looks like a little, almost like SD cards. And it's maybe That's some like kind a, of energy pack or something. That's like a rail gun, you know, depleting yeah, uranium shells be. or something. Maybe that may be exactly what it is. It's some kind of high tech. You don't know what it is, but obviously strong enough to blast a man's hand free when Hilltop. Uh, but his gun is a completely different one, though, isn't it? I can't tell. I mean, it looks similar. It's the guard's guns. I would think she might have. I mean, obviously, it, has access it, to the same gun actually has a, a more realistic look to it. It's something that you would see, you know, modern day or in the last 30 years, um, a Desert Eagle 44 Magnum or something, you know, uh, it's not not quite, but it's uh, true. And the, and the shells coming out of it, it, it. I mean, when he shoots a guy's arm off, he one, two, three, four, five, six, seven shells come out of it. Now, they don't look like regular bullets. They actually look of a much smaller caliber, but uh Definitely different, and yeah. So he had to do multiple shots to shoot the guy's hand off, and, and I don't think that got represented well enough in the in the imagery. But uh, still, yeah. Interesting tech, interesting tech, definitely. And then um, they uh, get out through, of course, air ducts that are so big that even Jack can crawl through them, for the most part. And then Tony gets shot. I'm just, and then uh, we see Jack's brutality as he is killing. I mean, he basically is punching these guys through the head and crushing their heads. Um, very, I mean, very. You can tell that in that bottom panel where he's reaching for Tony and she's kind of shocked. He's got blood all over his hand because he's basically, like you said, smash these guys' faces in. It, you know, it makes me think that if they were to make this into you know something live action, you'd have to get the guy that played the mountain on Game of Thrones to play him, to be as big and as powerful, as imposing as he's uh, supposed to be. And then um, the car that they get into is very nondescript. It's hard to tell what it is, but its license plate is Hertz. <laughs> well, from so the front sample, it looks like a yeah. Ford. Yeah, but I'm assuming it's a it's a rental, obviously. Uh, she's not getting her deposit back. No, 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 no. And then um, the last uh, after the last pa page um, where we see the explosion and everything, there is a uh, teaser image from the next issue where it shows them in jail. Um, that's the cover of issue two, I believe, isn't it? Yeah, because, uh, again, we get to go to issue one to see the continuation of this story, but it's definitely not in that, so next issue is kind of misleading. Yeah. All right. Uh, does anybody else have anything they want to bring up on that one? No, I think it's a good start. I mean, to yep. John's point, Kirk's point, it hooks you. you it makes you want to read more, which is how it should. Uh, one thing on the cover, we kind of glossed over issue zero. I think that was a promotional cover um, that was probably used to, to sell the concept. I really like the fact that it's got that rip across the center section that reveals them to be um, black and white uh, characters, including Tony. 
uh, right in the middle of it. I think that's a brilliant design. Yeah, yeah the two worlds, uh, the, the the real world being exposed behind the, the fake world in front of them. That's great, yeah. I didn't even think about that until you pointed that out, Kurt. Great, great, uh, good catch. Hmm. All right, let's go into issue one. All right. Yeah, oh, and, and I want to point out um, that the, the beautiful thing about this being Dark Horse comic, no ads throughout the entire book. Uh, it is all straight story and art, 100%. No ads anywhere except the very last pay, uh, back back cover, which is a an ad for Primal, From the Cradle to the Grave, uh, a uh, written by Clive Barker and D.G. Chichester. Yeah, 250 This was pretty pricey. Yep. at the time that it came out. Mm-hmm. But it was something I was willing to shell out because it was pure burn. Yeah, I think other books are going for either what, 125 or 150 at the yeah. time. Yeah. yeah, well, again, this, in, in the format that it is, was uh, superior to the other books that are coming out. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, you know, it's a slicker. Yeah, definitely uh, slicker very well, well produced. The fact of the matter is if you pick this book up today, it holds up as being as being as good as a comic that's released today. I think in some ways it's superior because the coloring is the color separation is so much better than what we're getting in comic books today, where the colorists don't know how to use the palette that they have. Or here they still had a good grasp on it. Well, there's not a lot of computer add-ons that you see in a lot of blurs and things like that that you see now that I think kind of take me out of a comic. I want it to be more mm-hmm. uh, kind of straightforward. Uh, I didn't bring this up, but when this was coming out, I think Valiant was just getting started because one of the months that Byrne put the four, uh, four parters out, uh, Exo Man of War came out. So Valiant was just getting its first issues out and about. So that's when you brought up image, that's kind mm-hmm. of the start of the, the independent creator co- own creator stuff coming coming about. Yeah. I was I was big into Valiant when it first came out, much more than Image. That was, I thought Valiant was more Jim Shooter, wasn't it? That I was mean, Shooter and Wrightson and Layton. Bob Layton was Bob Layton. Barry, Barry Windsor Smith did some Barry work Windsor there. Smith, yeah. Mm-hmm. And the Wrightson, cover for Windsor. for uh, Next Men number one is very Valiant esque. When, when I first looked at the cover, I was like, oh, it reminds me of. Yeah. Um, what was their team book? I'm drawing a blank right now. Harbinger. Harbinger yeah. looks very much like a Harbinger cover. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, you know the 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 cover of zero. I mean, no, of number issue one. Kind of it. It's adjusted the costumes that they're in, so it's got a port uh, down where you know. <laughs> and the we, we get a good shot of piece. that later in this book when we see Danny on the ground. Burn has yeah. thought it through. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And of course, this is, everything is very neatly tucked in. This yeah. is the, the Baxter uh, printing. And so, like I said, it's a textured uh, cover. If you all have that, the, the original first print of issue one, I mean, you can feel it. It's a very tactile experience. Yeah. Uh, I will say, from a graphic design point, I. I'm not crazy about his logo. I think it's a little busy, but yeah, it is what it is. 
And then if you turn into the first of the inside cover, there's a dedication to the memory of Gene Roddenberry. I thought that was interesting. I thought it was kind of cool. Well, I mean, we know that Byrne himself is a huge Star Trek, the original series fan. So I, I wouldn't surprise at all. I'm sure he insisted that that uh, get in there. And a very nice recap of the previous of the story so far, uh, yep. even though, you know, most people have, had not read the story so far because they either didn't get Dark Horse Presents and issue zero wouldn't come out to the next month. And but, see, that's, uh, that's odd as those recaps are not in my digital uh version i've got it just goes from the end of the other issue it shows the oh. front cover and then it starts the story it doesn't have any of the uh the well, i mean if you're if you're in a trade paperback or digital format you probably are able to go from one to the next you don't need it or here you don't know that they've had the the, the dark horse stories or or anything so it's we want to read the uh the the paragraph here the summary for those who don't have it well i think tim was going to give us a a synopsis oh well no well, I already gave you a synopsis oh, of the previous. You did give us a synopsis, yeah. <laughs> well, I, I found when I was reading these that this really helped me understand what I'd seen the issue before because it answers some of the questions and revealed, oh, that's what's going on. I didn't catch yeah, that. I, I, you know? I, I yeah, can, I can read it for us. Um, I like these. Marvel does this now in their books or has been for several years, yeah, You know, yeah. regardless <laughs> of whether you're reading a trade or not. So yeah. many times, you know, you even with trades, right? You, you know, you get two, three issues in, you set it down for a while, maybe you don't come back for a week or two. And so I've always really liked these little recaps. So it just jogs your memory. If you're yep. reading it in a trade or you're reading it month to month, but anyway, it says the story so far, Bethany, Danny, Jack, Jasmine, and Nathan have lived all their young lives in an idyllic place. They call it the greenery. Now they have awakened to discover that they were in reality, in a laboratory, and everything they knew of the world was an illusion. Meanwhile, an investigator has been sent by the man called Control in Washington, D.C. to find out just what is really happening in the government-authorized agricultural research project beneath the southwestern desert. This investigator, a woman named Tony Mershon, deliberately arrives a day earlier than anticipated to confront Project Head Senator Aldous Hilltop and his chief scientist, Dr. Joseph Bremer, insisting that Hilltop and Bremer give her an, an impromptu tour of the facility, Tony discovers the secret location of Hilltop's unauthorized Project Nextman and sets about helping the surviving products of the project to escape. Tony is shot and badly wounded in the attempt, but she and her new charges are still able to reach her rented car. Good job. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah. Good summary. Yep. Tim, are so, you gonna gonna do the synopsis for this issue? I I am. Uh, Go for it. Ready? Okay. John Byrne, next men issue number one. Uh, all our our credits are the same. John Byrne is writer, penciler, inker, letterer, cover artist. Our ink, our colorist is um, still Matt Webb. And again, by the editor, I guess it's Randy Stradley or um, Barbara Kessel. There's somebody's uh, putting us together. I have an on-sale date of January 7th, 92. Cover date, January 92. And the same cover price of $2.50. Uh, 32 pages, 24-hour story. And our other burn work, uh, I've got, still got Batman 
versus Predator number two. And Brian, I don't know if that's the same baseball card insert or if he had, I still couldn't find anything that he had to do with the actual yeah, issue. I've got a trade of that, but my son borrowed it. I don't know where it is. So okay. uh, see if I can look that up. Maybe I'll put a note out there for yeah, everybody. Or if anybody listening to this knows, then uh, fill us in. He also did Namor Mariner number 24, writer-artist, and Sensational She-Hulk, number 37, writer-artist. So he wasn't as busy uh, as he was in the previous months. Well, the Namor issue, that was the second second to last one he did, and I believe he did both. Uh, I mean, obviously he did story, and he did art and inking together on that one. Yeah. Which That's Keith the... Williams worked on the previous one. And then the next issue... Uh, 25, I think, is where Jay Lee came in. But, um, no, nope, 26. Um, oh, 26. Yeah, I, I think in. it's 26. Okay, yeah. Because yeah. I remember the image, Burns' image of the fingers going through the forehead so, so, yeah, vividly. yeah. And yeah, then, um, 24, I think, is when Wolverine, that's the Wolverine issue, yep. uh, which followed the, uh, Iron, when he brought Iron Fist back. Yes. Yeah. Okay. All that plant stuff. Yeah. Uh, John Byrne X-Men number one. The uh, story is entitled Breakout. We pick up at the end of the last issue. The next men and Murchison are escaping through the desert in her rented car when it's hit by a rocket. I'll manage to jump free before the explosion except Bethany. The car erupts in a ball of fire. An enraged Jack tries to make a weapon and fight back, but is shocked when nothing happens. He takes fire in the chest. Bethany walks free from the explosion without a scratch. Her clothes are another matter. She apparently is indestructible, just like Captain Scarlet. Murchison has Danny run up the road to the nearest town of Climax and contact the authorities. The team speeds off. The soldiers reach the team and were told by their superior, Senator Hilltop, that they were terrorists and he orders them to kill. Kill the, t- kill the teens. Dr. Bremer opposes killing the team and is accused by Hilltop of alerting control. Bremer could not let his work be destroyed, so he tipped off uh, J Street. Hilltop brands he did all the work. It was his idea. He kept everyone in the dark all these years. It was all him. The soldiers tell him a civilian truck is approaching. The local police arrive and question the soldiers. Soldiers try to claim it's a military matter, but the police say it's outside the base and it's in their jurisdiction. Hilltops hear this over the phone, and Brimmer tells him it's over. He can no longer hide the project. Uh, Hilltop shoots the doctor in, his he- in the head and kills him. He sets the base for self-destruct and escapes at his own little travel pod. Just like Donald Pleasance, and you only live twice. The base explodes in another fireball, bigger. The soldiers outside the fence try to set up a perimeter and look for wounded, but the police tell them they suspect that there was something non-kosher going on and that they are going to have to answer a lot of questions. And a deputy finds Jack is still alive. Jazz leaps to his aid and kicks the officer away, a leap no normal person should be able to make. Jack comes to and is puzzled that he did not fade and why he could not make a weapon like back in the greenery. An ambulance arrives, and the soldiers let them take the teens and merge them to the local hospital. The EMTs are stunned that Jack survives being shot with high-caliber rounds. The rest of the teens are loaded in the back of a truck for the ride to town. The sheriff tells them they have a lot of explaining to do. 
The teens wonder who they can trust and if Murchison is really trying to help them. Nathan says she sent Danny in the opposite direction of they were heading to town. We check in on Danny as he speeds across the desert. He should have reached town by now. He stops. His legs and feet are aching. He has worn the soles off his shoes and his feet have severe blisters. His feet never hurt before when he would run in the greenery, so he doesn't understand. He then sees an approaching car. A man named Willis Dukeman Dukeman stops and tries to help the young man. He notices the blistered feet and the strange garb and asks if he had an accident and has been wandering in the desert. He also asks where his parents are. Danny doesn't seem to understand these words. Uh, and Danny gives little information, but he does tell him he needs to contact Washington. And Willis tells him he's heading in the wrong direction to Climax and picks the boy up and puts him in his car. The two head back to town. To be continued. Hmm. I really like the bit when he introduces himself. Names Ducommon, Willis Ducommon, and Danny, being the blank slate he is, says, I'm Danny. Ducommon, Willis Ducommon, can you help me? Just, yeah. you know, why do yeah. characters do that all the time? And nobody that's a, that's a trope, yeah. It's <laughs> yeah. wonderful. No, another trope, though, at the very beginning on the first page where he's got that uh, quote from Lao Tzu. Yes. And this is something that Byrne was doing. I guess he started it in the mid-80s, and it became a staple of some types of stories where he'd, he'd have some quote, uh, famous or otherwise, um, in a story, always at the beginning, that seemed to have some relevance to the story itself. Yep. And, and that's like was, uh, Roy Thomas did that when he did All-Star Squadron. It was a big yeah. part of, of that. It, in this case, a journey of a thousand miles must begin with a single step. Yep. Well, don't they all? <laughs> and this <laughs> is the the opening. Of this is to your point, the Republic, very Republic serial like, because the previous issue we saw the car explode. In this one, yeah. what we didn't see was they all jumped out, and then the car explodes, and that's when. Well, look, look at the car in the first pa first page, though. Um, you, you said before that it was like a Ford. But it's got a Q it's symbol got some there. Kind of, yeah, it looks got some kind of weird. It made me think of Infinity, but Infinity, I don't think Infinity was around even in 91 or 92. And we also get to see uh, where they rendered it from. Well, yeah, it's got Hertz, Hertz both on the front and the back. And it's funny because the, uh, the second page at the top, it looks like a Kia Soul. Uh, <laughs> which, of course, you know, the... It only came about in the last few years, so that was funny. I agree it, that that Hertz license plate kept grabbing my attention every time I saw it. I thought it was going to pay off with something, but it doesn't. No. He probably should have put something nondescript there, because it, it is distracting, because, well, we know what Hertz is. Uh, and maybe I mean, that's maybe why it did it. It, so it didn't distract me. It was fine. <laughs> yeah, just trying to make it obvious it's a rental. Yeah. Not getting that deposit back. And <laughs> I'll, I'll give him credit for not just replacing the exact image from the previous. He redrew the explosion. Mm hmm Yeah. Um, and then it's where we get hints of more. And I kind of wish he'd leaned into this a little more of their... Uh, they seem to adapt a little quick to a world that 
is completely different than their own and things don't seem to work the same because when Jack gets up, he thinks, I'm just going to make a gun. And I guess in the in the greenery, you thought of something and you've got it. But here, yeah. he thinks he can just make a weapon or a gun or something and nothing happens. And that's when he gets shot in the chest. Mm-hmm. And everybody at that point picks up and, and starts. I, I, I get the idea that, that the greenery must have given him a lot of battle simulations. And they have to adjust really quickly to the the, the changes in the programming. Well, that's this is it. We never maybe it's if it's done in later issues and flashbacks that there was any kind of danger room or battle simulations when they were living. They seem to just to my you know like Logan Drun. They just seem to be just existing. You know, they just mm-hmm. exist and eat and enjoy each other's company and live. And they don't seem to. That's why uh, Nathan is asking, and I kind of skipped it over it, but Nathan is asking Bethany. How do we know what we know? You know, how do we know yeah. about the stars and the planets and that we shouldn't be able to see them? And where's our knowledge come from? And she's more of, it's always been that way. Don't worry about it. Just, you know. Tank, so, I need a chopper flying program. Here, let me get the <laughs> apple off the uh, tree in the garden for you. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I know just... Kung Fu. <laughs> So I I, I kind of wish he had got into you get a little bit of that with Danny we talked about it with Danny and um, Willis that he's pronouncing his name wrong he doesn't know really what a car is because when he's approaching as he says it it can't be something that's alive and he doesn't know what Washington is uh, he doesn't know because he later says oh that's a place he thought it might have been a person and I wish he kind of leaned into that a little more that they really are having a hard time adapting. Unless that's part of their genetic makeup, that they adapt quicker, maybe. I think that's you know, part of it. Yeah, because if they're you know, supposed to be some type be, of soldier. Be, yeah, it should be shocking to them, you know. Every, everything should be shocking. Yeah, yeah. The gunfire, because it doesn't yep. seem like... Well, to the point where uh, he he wants to make a weapon. Well, it doesn't seem like yeah. in their existence they're ever, they even should know what a weapon is. Right. They would have the need for it. What Nathan says, how do I know about a telescope when I have no idea what that is? Exactly. Same sort of thing, I I think. But, you know, there's only so much that Byrne can do before constant frustration and constant not understanding on the part of the characters is going to drive you right out of the book. It will. Yeah, I think it would it would really be decompress it and it might slow it down. So um... I like the fact that he keeps throwing them in. And you're not expecting it each time. It's like, oh, they don't know that. Yeah. Oh, they don't know that. You know, why would they know that? Uh, it works for me. Yeah, I'm, I'm, that that didn't bother me so much. Uh, what, what did bother me was just how the flames did not eat up all the right parts of Bethany's costume. Oh, oh come on! And, and, and so, so it's that, not you know, that adult a book, Brian. I mean, come on. Look, I'll send you a Playboy. Not yet. You know? Not yet. I'm kidding. Come on. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> now, uh, and, as you watch, Brian Hughes' see... comments are his own and not reflective necessarily <laughs> yeah. of third degree burns. <laughs> you see the evolution of Nathan's eyes as we continue to go on uh, through the book. That's a nice touch. His yeah. eyes continue to kind of mutate or whatever. I had no idea what was going there, and it freaked me out. Yeah, yeah. And then Hilltop, if you the the first panel they show in his office, uh, 
um, it looks like he's using an early, early cell phone or satellite phone. Maybe it's just a cordless phone for there in the office because that kind of matches what we used back then. Yeah, I couldn't tell. They could, or walk, tell a walkie-talkie either. Yeah. And it's interesting that, that he's switched guns because he had that other one earlier that um, it was definitely an automatic where now he's got a revolver when you go to this one in, in, in the office. That's probably one but of his, that's his probably personal gun. And I'm trying to figure out what that is on the wall behind him, which is supposed to look like, I guess, artwork that's, that's you know, dropped down a little bit from the explosion. Yeah. They, they, or whatever, they, they, but it almost looks like a paper bag has been, been put over it or something. I don't know. Yeah. Like it was going to be shipped. Like it was uh, wrapped. Yeah. Yeah. Something. I wonder that too. I, I thought maybe it linked up with an image in the, in zero, but. I, it's not important. Yeah, but uh, you know, it's like you get to, you get to the next page. This is page eight, and Hilltop is in his office. He's got a briefcase open. You know, the man's packing up and getting out. <laughs> mm-hmm. Uh, and that's the, the, that's the, the page breaks. where it's at the bottom where Brimmer has the biggest forehead. That yes. really <laughs> looks like the leader in that bottom panel. Yep. Yep. Smartest man in the room. And wow. then the the local constabulary, the police, come out and tell me that guy in the hat doesn't make you think of Michael Park back in the the eighties and nineties when he was always playing a sheriff someplace. Yep. Uh, he was the sheriff in at the beginning of From Dust Till Dawn, uh, and also at the beginning of Kill Bill. But that's in his much older, later years. Well, isn't Michael Park the one that played Jack Kirby in the uh, the Argo? Argo. Argo? So I got I got to look now. What year was Argo? Because, yep, yeah, he played Jack Kirby. Yep, 2012. You're right. So. Good catch there. Marvel time. No, today Patton Oswalt would be a good play for Jack Kirby. Uh, oh, <laughs> I've heard that. I don't know about no that. No comment. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, pass, I'll say pass. he looks yeah. he looks the part, but let's move on. Yeah. So the uh, the death of uh, Doctor Bremer. Ugh. I mean, gross. Literally gets his brains blown out as he gets shot right between the eyes. Did he that even... shock any of you? That was At pretty... the time, yeah. yeah it, it was. Graphic. It was pretty graphic. I was surprised at how graphic that was. Yeah. I thought the character was going to continue, so I was knocked off my feet too. It was like, but I was also pretty. pretty of the of the panels though kind of threw me off because there he is shooting him with that revolver. In the very next panel, you see him carrying around a rifle. Well, I think he's picking that rifle up off his yeah. desk. Yeah, um, I have to assume that too. Yeah, I, I do like how. Uh, Brimmer's kind of gloating that, you know, aha, you know, you can't cover this up and all this information. I don't know why he's so happy because he's probably going to go to jail too, but maybe he feels that this, because he had said that, and, and, and Hilltop has said, you're, you're worried that you've had to do all this work. You know, you've been like 10 years ahead of everybody and yeah, genetics he, and you can't. I don't think he cares if he lives or died, but he wants his name in relation to this to go out to the world. Yeah. And it, it may, but then Hilltop shoots him without already even looking. He just kind of 
yep. nonchalantly it looks like he shoots him right between his eyes because his glasses come off and then yeah you see his uh, not even come off he shot the frame out yeah, the, he shot him uh, directly the bridge, yeah, his, the yeah. bridge. Yep. Uh, and then he escapes in his little uh which one and then looks you get like another his... pretty brutal death scene here that uh, that explodes and kills a poor assistant of his. Yeah, yeah, and the whole yeah he doesn't care. He's 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 got his little whatever it is, his little escape pod. Evil. Yeah, and then yeah, she's she just annihilated, and then the rest of the and then they come in and see her, and then they get uh, blown up. There's a series yeah. of explosions that are just devastating this uh, this base. This really established for me that uh, Senator Hilltop was the man, the badass man, the big bad. It's like holy crap. Yeah, he's the he's definitely the protagonist that is the the driving force behind whatever he's mm-hmm. he's done. You know, he's you know it's it's a little typical evil government uh, guy, and I don't know what <laughs> these soldiers that are like. He says, uh, find a Corman, they'll be wounded. It's like, I don't think there's going to be any wounded in that. <laughs> I don't think there's going to be any survivors. Uh, no, they're going to be picking stuff up in bags. Putting them in, yeah. Putting them in jars. Yeah. And then he just he just lets the sheriff take the, I mean, the sheriff kind of threatens him, like, you know, you know, you, we suspect that there was something going on out here, and now we, you know, we, were, we were right. And the soldier's like, well, yeah, we'll let you take yeah, he was ordered to stop these people and told they were terrorists, and he just lets the sheriff uh, take them. You think if this was, they would... Honestly, if this is that, if, if this soldier was clued in about what was going on, I think he would kill the sheriff, the deputy, kill the rest of the the next men or take them into custody, and then cover it all up, and they would just Yeah, this is out. a this is above my pay grade moment. Yeah, I think a lot of these people yeah. there were thinking they were actually doing, you know, yeah. legitimate work. Yeah, they thought it was just a, a just a standard government secret. You know, it's just your standard government secret lab out in the desert. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and then we get more about when Bethany kicks the guy who's trying to look at Jack because he's still alive, and then you know, of course, that just shows off that she, you know, on how far she leaps, but she kind of karate kicks him. And that they find that he's still alive, and he's surprised that. Talk about fading. I guess that's, and in the greenery. I guess when you get the assumption that there were other people in the greenery with them, it seems like they're the only five alive right. now. But when I guess an experiment's terminated or it goes wrong or something, they would just kind of disappear from the virtual world, and that means their body has died in the real world, and that's why they were unplugged from the matrix. Yeah. So they yeah. they they relate fading to like dying and he's surprised yeah. that he didn't, he survived. And there, um, you know, page numbers on Okay. So page 18, you see Nathan's eyes even more, uh, uh mutated, I guess. Yeah. They continue just to get a, bigger. Yeah. Well, I think what it is, is like you're, is it's almost like a, a, a reverse of the invisible woman. So you're basically, because of the way his eyes work, you're seeing inside it. What's what? What would be our eye mechanisms is, is invisible. Well, it's almost like his the orbs, the eyeball itself, are growing. Yeah, and that's yeah. why the outside edge doesn't seem like he has eyelids anymore. 
uh, they just seem to get bigger and bigger. Um, which does yeah, today's kind of gross. It is, it is yeah. gross. It is <laughs> gross. gross. It looks like it would be painful. It looks like it would be painful, but you don't hear him complaining. Reminds me of the fly. Mm. There's a Twilight Zone episode with uh, Warren Oates. No, it's not Twilight Zone. I think it's Outer Limits, where they're on a space mission and they're some planet, and he gets exposed to radiation, and his eyes Radi- come Asian. huge, like that. Yeah, He's, they're in behind the goggles. Yeah, he hides in behind goggles all the time. Yeah, I, I keep thinking of uh, Raymond Land, the X, the man with the X-ray eyes. That yeah. Yeah. And just how it got stronger and stronger and stronger all the way through it. And you need Mark Kent to come in and say, focus on one thing. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Hear the sound of my voice. Yeah. Hey, we're all going to, cl- we're all going to climax in 15 miles. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for that visual. Uh... <laughs> well, at least they've given Bethany a, a jacket to wear. So she's not completely naked. Does the 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 story part about Tony sending Danny the other direction play out? Yes. It, okay. Okay. Just making sure. I think it. Because I forgot. Does. I forgot about that. But the other thing, as, that, it's not as big of uh, an issue as Nathan is making out here, but it's a it's a red flag, and maybe a red herring. We'll see. Yeah. You yeah. notice that Willis to Cummins' car does not have a license plate. No, I didn't notice that. It's it's blank. You're right. Every image of it hmm. down to the last page. So yeah, something a little bit more ooh clandestine. And yeah, you're right. We did get a close up of uh, Danny's um, little Exhaust port, port there. Exhaust port. Yeah. <laughs> That's um okay. Well, there you go. Yeah. Well, and when he's holding his feet up, is again, it's burn treating this uh, realistically that there's no speed force to protect his feet. Uh, there's no mutate or I think, I think they're the powers they had in the greenery are adapting. Cause we find out later that he does, obviously I don't think he needs his feet toughen up and he doesn't need mm-hmm. it, but they, his body is adapting to uh, uh, being in the real world. Cause he talks about it. Cause later not a spoiler, but his his leg muscles get huge. Yeah, and he talks about how the suit he's got on is getting tight and is around his legs, and he can't he can't cut it off. Um, and that's when he meets uh, the kindly the you know that trope of the kindly stranger who who finds him and um, Paul Camp from Superman. Yeah, how, how many times have we seen the uh, the kindly old couple that takes in? the uh, mm-hmm. the misfit or the 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 monster or whatever it is and this guy doesn't you know he's not either he's feigning it or he really doesn't <clears throat> bat an eye about this guy because he said you're wearing a howling costume and yeah. he thinks he's just been walking you a desert uh you know for hours right, twice feet or all right. you know it's it's interesting that you know once they get out of uh, the whole lab area and it's all blown up the art becomes to a lesser extent unremarkable simply because it's all real world desert and small town kind of thing. And so there's not much to really, you know, sit there and look at and go, wow, this is something to be marveled at. I mean, it's good art. Don't get me wrong, but it's, um, 
pedestrian almost. But it has to be. Well, that's why I said I think it it's a big contrast to stuff that's going on in standard superhero stuff because this is mm-hmm. much more realistic and grounded and kind of a little sterile because he's trying to tell a realistic sci-fi story instead of having a lot of outrageous over-the-top action or design with costumes and things like that. I mean, it, they get kind of costumes later. He's kind of trying to tell a straight, pretty straightforward story here. Okay, so now after the, the end of the issue... Um, you've got a letters page, which of course is, you know, basically people writing in about what you saw in Dark Horse presents. And then you have the very first a flame about this high, which is John Byrne's um, own little column, like Stan's soapbox or Mark's remarks. And he mentions that, you know, um, I haven't read this yet. Um, I think I did read it back in the day. I don't recall uh, anything anything there uh, that was just like earth-shattering. But do, do you all recall this? I remember reading this, and I had no idea what a flame about this eye referenced later on. I think he mentions it, or he explains it to those that didn't get the setup. You want me to spoil it for you? Please. It, the, the punchline, it's the punchline to a joke. You know what burns my ass? <laughs> a flame about this high. So instead of stating that, he's he's delivered the punchline as yeah. his the, the head of his his comment. So, but yes. I didn't get it at this point. I had to be told it was like, oh, okay. Hmm. That'd be a good name for another podcast about John Byrne. What burns <laughs> my ass? <laughs> yeah, I, I'm glad we went with third degree burn. Yeah, all those years ago. <laughs> Seven years, seven years this month. Actually, uh, we we released our first episode pretty much Thanks. Are you right sure? around this time seven years ago. Yeah, yep. it was uh, last week of June, first week of July. That thanks, uh, to, thanks to Scott Gardner coming up with that name. Yes, yeah. I mean, we we were we were not being very uh, inspirational, and Scott threw that out. We were just like well, I, that. It, that's so perfect. Like the B sharps on the Simpsons. It's absolutely know? yeah. I was Happy thinking anniversary of, then. Oh, thank you. Yeah. I always thought of, of using the name Torchbearers, but I thought that might be a little too obscure. Yeah. Um, yep, yep, yep. 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 Any, anybody That's else? Awesome. Yeah, does anybody have anything else on this book that they wanted to mention or talk about? Or Don't stop reading now, folks. Um, if you well, haven't read the series, keep rolling. Yeah, we'd uh, like to know what you think about it. The, the series as a whole, uh, even the stuff he, he did at IDW later to close up the the loose ends and such. Um, well, what do I'm, you think? I'm going to pose a question to everyone who's listening and to the rest of the guys here. Would you like us to cover this like we do elsewhere? As we cover it, cover it chronologically. Instead of just covering these two, then maybe coming back and, you know, we jump around when we cover Every it. couple of months. Elsewhere, we're covering each issue chronologically. Would you I like us to cover this to cover? I think it. it's got to be chronological because there are so many reveals that that if you if you jump 20 issues ahead, things will have happened and reveals will have happened that either the reader won't know anything about or otherwise. I would say chronological is the only way to approach this material. Uh, you can't jump around unless you already have knowledge of the whole series and how things are connected. True. It it can't be the every issue is someone's first issue. 
you can't just no. kind of jump in the middle with this. So, you know, I okay. So if we cover and we cover it in the future, we'll cover issue three and just keep going that way. We'll run a just do it kind of like we're doing. Maybe after Elswin wraps up, we can still go back to covering this. I'd be willing to consider that. Yeah, I'd like that. Yeah. I would like that. Yes. Whether uh, we yeah, do the... two issues per per show or three, um, three would get it done a little bit sooner. But uh, I'm yeah. up for it. Two's doable. I think two's doable. We keep the shows a little a little shorter, and uh, we don't quit quite get into the weeds with the minutia. But uh, we have other uh, we have other other uh, projects coming up before we get back to this. We need to iron out, but big stuff's coming. Yeah, yeah. Hey, I really enjoyed these ask... first two issues, and it really pulled me through. Like I said, I just finished off trade paperback number one, uh, and it was late last night. I was I picked it up again to kind of review it, and and I was like, oh, I just. And next thing I know, it was uh, like two in the morning, and I had read the entire paper the trade. God. I just, uh, I, and I don't know how many issues were in it. What six? Because they just they didn't have like uh, cover breaks. So it was, uh, and I didn't count them. I was like, oh, and I just kept going and going and going. And I was I was surprised. Next thing I know, I'm on a page 185. And I was like, wow, this is really good. I'm I'm surprised at how good it is. So I'm really looking forward to following through. Well, I would say this yeah, would thing. make uh, a good. HBO series or uh, it'd have to be HBO. We can't because it's a little more adult because you could crank crank the the violence up and language up a little bit. But I think you could do this easily as a a six or eight episode series because the effects are not uh, it's some makeup effects and some digital stuff. But I think you could do right. this pretty cheaply, and it's an intriguing and this is the kind of stuff that. People are, like I said, it's like Westworld. So I think you can... Yeah, but we find out what happens if you do a cheap, a la the Inhumans. Well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Dumpster <Yeah>. fire. <laughs> well, I haven't yeah. seen that yet, but I'm worried now. Oh, it was bad. Yeah, there, there are things in, hum, in, in humans that you can like and things that, you, that, you, that you're going to hate. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, you have Medusa, who's, you know, the most dynamic appearing character in the whole thing and mm -hmm. the first thing they do in the first episode is shave off her hair yeah wow and that's to save money on the budget so they don't have to keep animating her hair that was the whole point um the the uh what's the what's the dog character lockjaw lockjaw was a treat the way that they handled lockjaw was a treat it was just as good as that one gigantic dog in uh, john carter which also flopped Hmm, seeing a trend. But, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, and, and uh, you know, they had uh, some great actors in there. Anson Mount, of course, was Black Bolt, which yep. is sad because he's, you know, a very good actor. And, you know, he had to be mute the entire time. Yeah, because Black Bolt can't speak, obviously. But the the uh, nice thing that Anson Mount did was is they didn't have him wear the mask, so he could do a lot of his acting visually. Face, yeah. Well, didn't he communicate with you, sign language in the show? Yeah, he did. Thought but, so. uh, and if you want to see more of Anson Mount as Black Bolt, watch Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. Nice spoiler there, Brian. Yeah, thanks that's a lot. That's not a spoiler. I mean, that's I think, not going to spoil anything. Just watch it. I think people knew he was in there. I didn't. Yeah. I oh. didn't know. Sorry. And oh, I was oh. quite surprised when, when it came to that. I was like, what? All right. But you son of a. That's that's the the scene that most people complain about because of what they did to certain characters. Oh, come on, come on. 
Yeah, just, not... yeah, just leave it right there. But uh, also uh, a great casting in that they had Ken Leung as Karnak, uh, who's probably the most interesting character. And yes, we do need to move on. Uh, but um, in humans, you know, the the series failed, but it had some decent bits to it. Um, the uh, guy that played Maximus uh, was the same guy that played uh, Ramsey Bolton in yeah. Game of Thrones, and he he was as good in both. Um, but it should have been Mads Mikkelsen. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know that if if he's can be as manic as as uh, you and Rian. That's true. <laughs> now. Okay, but so so we can move on. I got some news for everybody. We got a five star review on Apple Podcasts, formerly iTunes. Great. Great. And uh, I can read it for you right here if you like. Um, it. it is not on the, the American page. I had to go to Japan in iTunes in order to be able to see this. So, you know, feel like if you want to see if we got reviews in other countries, you have to jump around to them. Just don't jump to China because it will go to La La. You'll never get it back. You'll have to reload iTunes. Uh, <laughs> but uh, this one is from our buddy Nigel Spink. Right. And it reads, here's a tribute to the guys at Third Degree. With their podcast, they opened up to me. Discussions on Burns' work are shared and debated. The following that... What is what the, and following the issues are rated, first, there's Brian giving us facts and information, both interesting and new, once he's opened his can of Mountain Dew. This is a rhyme. Then there's Tim with his knowledge of comics and critical eye. He picks out mistakes and confirms what's right. That's no lie. Kirk is the one who keeps the group on time and topic. He's the voice of reason, and he can tell you whether, whatever the season. John is a... Is a burn fan, there is no doubt. Be it Marvel or DC for him, everything but everything wins. But should the podcast ever fold, he can always go back to the bins. <laughs> now, David for me is the mystery man, though I'm sure he's really a big John Byrne fan. He's probably very busy with work, to be fair. It's just that when I listen to a podcast, he's not always there. So if John Byrne's art is for you, then this is the crew I recommend you listen to. And if you do, I'm sure you will learn why some men just want to watch the world burn. Keep on burning, guys. Very that, thanks, that's very nice. We really like that. that yeah, we amazing. like this guy. We're going to have to have him on the show. we got to get this guy on the show. <laughs> got it. Pretty soon every listener will have guest appeared on the show at one point. Well, that's, that's how it works. You write in enough, we just invite you on. Pretty soon we're going to have we're, we're going to have twenty people on a podcast. Oh, this has to be like match game. Rotate them out. Have we told them where to write? Yeah, David mentioned it earlier, but there's no no harm in mentioning it again. You can reach us at gotta get burned at gmail.com. You can also reach us on Facebook. We have our own uh, Facebook group, and it is growing daily. I don't know if they're real people or just bots, but we're growing daily. Um, and also, as, as we just mentioned, you can leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, formerly iTunes. Uh, every five-star review increases our uh, the possibility of our listenership by making our show available to more people around the world. So please 
leave us a five-star review, let everybody know just how great we, we are. I mean, you, you can use hyperbole if you want, you know, or just, just tell us what you think. Tell us and, what you feel. Tell us what you like. Tell us what you don't yeah. like. And the, the standing offer is if you leave a five-star review, you can pick a book, which I think Nigel has kind of already picked his book or we've kind of picked it with him, but leave us a five-star and then you can basically tell us what you want us to uh, cover. Yep. Um, so, is there anything else? Well, by the way, Tim, uh, that was a great uh, storyteller that you did uh, with the uh, Manwolf story there for Father's Day. That was really good. I enjoyed that. Thank you. Thank I, you. My, good, good my, for- yeah, I, I, I put a lot of effort into the production. My reading is awful. I will admit that um, because I don't, you know, I need to like read it five or six, seven times to kind of get my, uh, my, my delivery down, but I put a lot of effort yeah, into the like sound effects and stuff. That, Nigel's poem. That's like me reading Nigel's poem there. I didn't quite have the intonation down, or I'm not sure what meter that was. It's not iambic pentameter or, or what. I, I don't know. Anyway, go. but uh, thank you. Not a haiku. It's too big to be a haiku. <laughs> That's what she said. <laughs> oh. <laughs> okay. Well, on that note, I think we'll be <laughs> go ahead and close out. We hope you have enjoyed um, our, our latest episode and our coverage of Next Men. Please give us feedback. Let us know what you think, if you liked it. Uh, and uh, you know, let us know what you want us to cover uh, Cover next. We have a couple things in the fire coming over the next few weeks. But, uh, you know, after that, we, uh, we are open to suggestion. So, without further ado, for Third Degree Burn... My name is Brian Hughes. Over here, we have Tim Elliott. Say goodnight, Tim. Or good goodnight. Night. We have Kurt Greenfield. See you, guys. David Thompson. I bet you would do. <laughs> John Hyatt. So long. Farewell. Auf Zane. <laughs> yeah, I'm just going to let it go at that. Take <laughs> care, everybody. Have fun. Adios. Bye, everyone. I know you're out there. I can feel you now. I know that you're afraid. You're afraid of us. You're afraid of change. I don't know the future. I didn't come here to tell you how this is going to end. I came here to tell you how it's going to begin. I'm going to hang up this phone, and then I'm going to show these people what you don't want them to see. I'm going to show them a world without you. A world without rules and controls, without borders or boundaries. A world where anything is possible. Where we go from there is a choice I leave to you. Thanks for listening. You can find us and many other great shows at tutufreaks.com. That's T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S.com. Third Degree Burn is spelled with the number three, R-D-D-E-G-R-E-E-B-Y-R-N-E, and is part of the Tutu Freaks network of shows. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Just look for Third Degree Burn, spelled with the number three, and Burn spelled B-Y-R-N-E. 
Compliments, complaints, and recipes can be sent to gottagetburned at gmail.com. That's G-O-T-T-A-G-E-T-B-Y-R-N-E-D at gmail.com. Drop us a line and tell us how we're doing. Till next time, this has been Third Degree Burn. Some men aren't looking for anything logical, like money. They can't be bought, bullied, reasoned, or negotiated with. Some men just want to watch the world burn.